you have your Bible, I encourage you to open up to 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Uh, or if you have your phone, you can just Google that. It's just one verse. It'll come right up. Back when I was in seminary, uh, Anne worked as a nanny, and she took care of three young girls during the day. Um, sometimes the mom was there. Sometimes the mom wasn't. They were a great family. The parents were involved. But like any family, they had their rough days. And one challenging day when nerves were frayed and people were cranky, the three-year-old, who was a sensitive soul, said something that made Anne laugh. The little girl whined, we are not a happy family. <laughs> and that's what today's sermon is about. The environment of parenting. The environment that kids grow up in um, and learn how to be a person in. As we uh, return to the series on parenting, we're, we're looking to the book of 1 Corinthians for parenting insight. And um, just two reminders as we get back into this series. One, I realize not everyone here is a parent, and I will try to make sure there are things for you along the way, even though primarily we're talking about parenting. And number two, I want to remember, and I want you to remember that um, as we look at the topic of parenting, we're looking at what the Bible has to say, but it's a very practical topic. And so things like psych psychology and experience come in, and I want to keep clear in my own mind what's from God's word and what's good advice that you could take or leave, depending on whether you think it's good advice. So if I think if we all keep that clear in our mind, that will be a, a good thing. So 1 Corinthians from which this verse comes, is a letter that the Apostle Paul, one of the pioneers of the Christian faith, wrote to a group of Jesus's followers in the Greek city of Corinth. And today we're looking at just this one single sentence that Paul writes in, in uh, chapter 15, verse 33, where he quotes a proverb. Now, this is not a proverb that Paul came up with, and it's not a biblical proverb. Rather, it was a Greek proverb that was already there rolling around in the broader culture. Because you see, the Bible isn't the only place you can find wisdom. God's wisdom, God's truth is out there in the culture as well. As the book of Proverbs put it in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 20, wisdom is crying in the streets. And Paul recognizes this. It doesn't mean everything out in the streets is wisdom, for sure. But Paul recognizes there is wisdom out there, and he recognized wisdom in this Greek proverb. And so he included it in Scripture, elevating it to the status of God's authoritative word to us. Here it is. Again, bad company corrupts good character. Bad company corrupts good character. We know this to be true, right? We think of peer pressure. If you hang out with people who are encouraging you, or pressuring you to do things that you know are wrong, you're more likely over time to give in and start doing those things. Bad company corrupts good character. We can also think of just basic mimicking. We as humans tend to mimic, we tend to pick up the, the habits and mannerisms of those around us. Maybe you move to New York and over time you start to pick up a little bit of an accent. 
or you have teenagers and you, you pick up expressions and phrases they use. Having teens has really expanded my vocabulary. I've learned words like meh and bussin and sus and most recently sussy baka. If you want to know what that means, don't ask me, ask a teenager. I don't quite know how to use that in context yet. Um, or you, you hang around people and you start picking up their bad habits. Do they curse a lot? Maybe you get a little more colorful with your language. Do they talk down to their friends or to their, their spouse behind their back? Maybe you find yourself doing the same. Do they gossip a lot or complain a lot? Maybe you give in to those temptations more often. Bad company corrupts good character. And if you're not a parent, this, this is uh, some really important wisdom for you personally. Think about the company you keep. It will inevitably impact or have an impact on your character. But what does this have to do with parenting? Well, here's the question I want to invite us to, to think about for those of us who are parents. What kind of company are we for our children? What kind of company are we for our kids? Because the kind of company we are has a big impact on the kind of character our kids develop and the kind of people that they become. We looked at this three weeks ago now in our, uh, the last sermon we did on parenting before we took a break for a couple weeks for Palm Sunday and for Easter. We looked at, at the person of the parents, who we are as people, and we talked about how Parents are models, we're examples to our kids, and that our kids are far more likely to grow up to do what we do and to become who we are than they are to do what we say. And, and we saw that uh, there's actually a neurological mechanism for this that's been discovered, that when we face a situation that calls for a response, the right side of our brain flips through a catalog of past visual memories to see how others have handled situations like this. And the memories we, we saw, we filter for them based on what our people, what those we feel we belong to, those who we are attached to, what they have done in situations like this before. We ask the question, how do our people handle situations like this? And so if our kids are well attached to us, if they feel we're their people, then they're going to be looking to our example. And so we saw that as parents, we've got to grow as people if we're going to be good examples to our kids. But the flip side of this is, that if our kids are not attached to us, if, for example, they consider their people to be their friends, if they're primarily peer-oriented, if the primary company they keep is their peers, then it's their friends' examples that will begin to guide and to shape their character. And if you're a parent of teens, chances are you've had a front row seat to see this beginning to happen. Because the company we keep, the people we're attached to, the people we consider to be our people, these are the ones who tend to shape our character and our values and our beliefs and priorities. Well, this has huge ramifications for parenting and for the kind of company that we need to be for our kids. Let me tell you a story about this. 
I grew up in a family and in a small church community that were what you'd call strict Sabbatarians. And if you haven't heard that religious term, here's what it means. The fourth commandment of the Bible, of the, old, uh, the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament says, thou shalt remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Do not do any work on the Sabbath, um, the seventh day of the week. Keep it to be a special day. And my family and the church that I grew up in believed that this was still relevant and still a binding command on us as Christians today. So in my family, the Sabbath was sacred. We didn't work. We went to church. We spent time as a family. And in many ways, this was wonderful. It was a gift which is what the Sabbath is meant to be. And as a kid, I didn't question it. Now, one of the things you need to know is that our family, uh, in our church's understanding uh, for our family and, and for our church, the Sabbath was Friday sundown to Saturday sundown. That's what it is in the Hebrew scriptures. Jews still keep it that way today. Well, as I got older and I became a teenager, I was slowly pulling away from my parents and orienting toward my peers. And what were my friends doing on Friday night and on Saturday? <laughs> they were going to football games and basketball games and to parties. They were having fun and I wanted to be with them. This was my social life. Being with my friends was becoming more important to me than being with my family, and pleasing my friends was becoming more important to me than pleasing my parents. I was becoming peer-oriented. My basic attachments were shifting from my parents to my peers, and as you can imagine, this caused some tension and some conflict within me and also with my parents. Right? It's just the basic teenage experience. The details might be different, but it's very common as we get older for the values and priorities we're raised with to come into conflict with the values and priorities of our friends. But do you want to know something surprising? This common, familiar, and pervasive tension, this conflict between competing attachments to parents on the one hand and to peers on the other hand, the pervasiveness of it is a relatively new phenomenon, like in the last hundred years. Now, let me qualify that because it's always been normal and healthy that as we get older, we push our parents away a bit and we become independent and we become our own people. And it's always been the case that we're attracted to our peers. And it's always been the case that bad company corrupts good character. I mean, it was 2000 years ago when Paul was penning the, the letter of 1 Corinthians. And so it's always been true that we find Peers who are bad, or if we find peers who are bad company, that will affect a, a young person's character and priorities and bring them into conflict with their parents. All of that has been around forever. But what hasn't always been around is a powerful, pervasive teen culture that by and large is in conflict with family values and that constantly competes with parental attachments. You see, through much of history, teenagers got married a lot younger and very quickly had real adult responsibilities, jobs, babies, mouths to feed. 
Also, many teens uh, may have gone to school until seventh or eighth grade and then become apprentices in their teens. And so they weren't hanging out a lot with their peers. They were rather living with a new family of whoever they were apprenticed to, taking on adult responsibilities and surrounded by some other adults and maybe by younger children, maybe by older people as well. And if the adults in their lives had some basic maturity and some wisdom and generally shared the values of the parents, uh, the apprentices' parents, then these teen apprentices' new attachments were supporting of rather than in conflict with their family attachments. That's key. Supporting of rather than in conflict with the attachments they grew up with. Does that make sense? So what's been come new in the last hundred years that has radically changed this is the growth of teen culture as a real pervasive and powerful force. It's been caused by things like widespread schooling, where we take all of our teens of the same age and we pull them away from their families and we put them together with each other all day long and a few teachers who are doing their best. It's also been caused by industry and business and media that, that recognized a new market to exploit. And so teens now have their own dress, their own fashion, their own hangout spots, their own music, their own celebrities, and now their own apps and social media and influencers. And so there's this whole relatively new in human history and very intense subculture reinforced by schools and media and big business, all of which often compete with and compete for the attachments that kids naturally have with their parents and with their families when they're young. So again, pulling away from your parents and becoming oriented to your peers has always been a thing. But the power and the intensity of peer orientation and the way that it often now competes with instead of supports parental attachments and parental values is now on a whole different level. And so if bad company corrupts good character, then who your kids are attached to and who they belong to and what company they keep matters a great deal. So what are some practical applications of all this for parenting? What are some of the ways that we can improve the environment of our parenting? What are some of the ways that we can improve the company that we are as parents? Let me offer um, some practical suggestions. Um, some of these will be applicable not just to parents, but to teachers, aunts and uncles, grandparents, etc. But the first one is, is not. It's just for parenting, um, for parents. And it might be a little surprising. The first application that is, if you are married, work on your marriage. Because if bad company corrupts good character, we've got to ask, what kind of company are we as parents? What are we like to be around? Is there a lot of bickering between husband and wife? Is there tension? Is there strife? Is there stress? Are we as parents nice people to be around? If not, why would our kids want to grow up to be like us? If the way our kids feel very often is we are not a happy family, 
then why would they want to hang around with us once they're old enough to choose who they hang out with? If we're going to parent well and we're married, we've got to work on our marriage. As a starting place to, to being a team with our spouse to create a healthy and a happy family environment. All right, the rest of my suggestions uh, relate more to this matter of being attached to our kids, which is a huge topic, a lot bigger than we can cover in a 30-minute sermon. And there are some great books out there um, on this topic, like Ross Campbell's two books, How to Really Love Your Kids and How to Really Love Your Teens. And by the way, grandparents, you have an important role in this too, and there's also How to Really Love Your Grandkid. For a deeper dive, there are other books like Gordon Neufeld's How to Hold On to Your Kids, Why Parents Need to Matter More Than Peers. But, but let me just give a few simple low-hanging fruit examples, applications of how to strengthen your, your attachment with your kids. Hopefully this will whet your appetite. And so here's my second suggestion. Make eye contact. Next slide. When, we're, uh, when you're talking to your kids and um, you're distracted or they're distracted, maybe one of you is on a device, and so you're not looking at each other, whether you're just asking them about their day or you're correcting them or you're encouraging them, pause, look in their eyes, ask them to look at your face, and then have your conversation. This strengthens attachment. Now, I realize for boys, often eye contact can be threatening. You can have a better conversation sitting alongside them. There's a place for that. There's, of course, this is a more complicated topic. But just taking times periodically, even for a moment, to establish eye contact is what I'm saying here. Then third, touch base. When they get home from school or from being out with their friends, be intentional about welcoming them home, smiling at them, asking them how it went, telling them something about your day without boring them with all the details. <laughs> Reconnect, touch base. It just takes a minute. Fourth suggestion, have at least one meal together every day. It doesn't have to be dinner. It could be breakfast or whatever works for your family. It could be a, a nighttime snack that you share together. But at least once a day, sit down as a family with no TV on, no phones, no screens, just you as people sitting down and eating something together. Albert Borgman is a, a Christian philosopher who's devoted a lot of his life and thinking to reflecting deeply on modern technology and the good and the bad of it. And to the unintended consequences of technology that it has on us as humans and the role that it's played in eroding love and relationships. And he once said something that really struck me. He, um, he, he was observing the way that society is heading, the way family and relationships are breaking down and the effects that that's having on mental health, especially for our youth and on societal strife and breakdown. And as he looks at all of this through the lens of, of the biblical vision of rich community and prioritizing love, he sees meals as one of the most important issues for family life today. 
So much so that he, he concludes with this striking line. He says, yes, fornication is bad and adultery is bad, but not sitting down to dinner is worse. <laughs> now, whether he's right or whether he's over-exaggerating, I had to throw that in just to get your attention, right? Uh, whether he's over-exaggerating, don't underestimate the importance of regularly having a meal together if you're going to be good company for and with your kids. Now, I realize if you try to have a meal as a family that it may not feel that way, especially if this is something new for your family. Meals can be chaos, right? If you've got little kids, especially. Family members can be annoying, let's be honest. Uh, maybe you feel like you've got nothing to talk about. Maybe your teenagers complain and resist and sulk the whole time they pull up their hoodie and pull the string and don't want to look at you. Um, it can take real perseverance to, to form a new habit and to get used to it. It can also take or does take some intentionality, learning to ask one another, how was your day? Um, what was good about it? What was bad about it? and to get used to answering those questions when you're not used to talking about those things. But if you stick with it over time, it can be one of the most important ways to build attachments. Fifth suggestion, ask your kids about what they're interested in. Ask them questions about it, not with suspicion, not with critique, but to learn what they're interested in and to share with them the things that they find joy in. Now, I can tell you that this is hard. For one thing, there may be things that, that they like that you know really are bad for them and that you need to protect them from. And for another thing, some of the things they, they like um, maybe aren't the greatest for them and are totally boring for you as a parent. When my kids were young, they were interested in things like Club Penguin and then later Portal. And it certainly wasn't my thing. And, and at points, I'd have to, to tell them as a parent, hey, too much of that isn't good for you. That's enough screen time. But also, I've had to learn not to be too negative and always be pouring cold water on their happiness because this is what they were into. They liked it a lot. They were super enthusiastic about these things. And if I was going to connect with them, I needed to share a little bit of their joy in these interests. I couldn't always just expect them to be interested in my things. I mean, to be honest, some of my interests are pretty boring to them. I think, for example, they're pretty sick of hearing me downstairs trying to play U2 songs on my electric guitar over and over again. <laughs> okay, then sixth and finally, and this is especially true for those of us who are task-oriented, connect before you expect. It's easy to walk in the house if it's anything like our house and to see the shoes kicked off just inside the front door and the coats thrown on the nearest chair and the backpack opened up with stuff pulled out and spilled all over the floor and be like, man, this place was just clean five minutes ago, right? Where are those little mess makers? Get over here now and clean this up. Let me ask you, if you're a kid and you've been out of the house connecting with other people and now you get home and you're out of attachment with your parents, 
what are the chances that you're going to reconnect if the first thing your parents do is fuss at you? No, connect as a parent before you expect. Take time to reconnect. Take time uh, to do the things I mentioned, to, to look them in the eye, to smile, to touch base with them, to ask them about their day, to express that you're glad to see them, that they're home, and then say softly, by the way, before you do anything else, I need you to put your shoes in the closet and to hang up your coat. Easier said than done, I know. But bad company corrupts good character. What kind of company are you for your kids? Are you working to improve, to maintain your attachment with them? What kind of environment are you raising them in? Are you at least more often than not a happy family? If not, your kids as they grow will likely be looking elsewhere for company. And it's those people who will be determining your kids' beliefs and values and character instead of you.